Hello, Great Minds! It's Friday, and that means it's time for Drinks with Great Minds in History, as we get ready to chase our Marquise episode with a snippet of history that I guarantee you didn't see coming from the Lafayette saga, the Jersey Devil. Welcome back, Great Minds, to DGMH. After a fun interview, I am glad to be back chasing the Marquis de Lafayette's episode with an American story that just so happens to involve a Frenchman or two. As we look into the legend of New Jersey's very own devil, and as usual, I fell down a surprising rabbit hole in my research. But a quick call to action, much like Uncle Sam, DGMH wants you. I love writing, editing, and producing this show. I mean, as you know, it's a reason to drink for me. But also, those drinks get pricey. If you ever feel like helping out Mr. DGMH, then consider heading over to my Patreon page. There, you can support the show, get access to all sorts of bonus content and episodes, participate in Q&A sessions, which we haven't started yet, and even get a counted vote in each segment of Shots Heard Round the World. I know that everyone here at DGMH would greatly appreciate it. After all, in 2020, DGMH produced 51 episodes, more than 20 hours of content, and I hope to be able to produce just as much in 2021. So cheers! Now let's go figure out what the hell the Jersey Devil is and how it could possibly be connected to the Marquis de Lafayette. But first, it's some history for you, a reason to drink for me. It's the history of the great minds that made history come to be. The Chaser. So today's topic is, as I said, the Jersey Devil, which like Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, and the Mothman is the stuff of crazies. A legend of a creature that several people have claimed to see flying around the New Jersey area. But wait, why the hell are we listening to the chaser before a twist of psych? That's just not normal. Well, that is because this episode is going to raise some unique psychology questions that I feel I need to ask Dr. Sherry Valencic about when we next meet. But for now, let's talk about today's drink. In honor of New Jersey, I had to go with GTL, gin, tonic, and lime. Okay, let's be clear. I have never heard anyone ever call a gin and tonic a GTL. If they do, that's sad. Maybe a GNT. Either way, I'm drinking one of my favorite classics, a gin and tonic with lime. Why? Well, any Jersey Shore fan will certainly recall the hilarity and buffoonery that was GTL, a day of gym, tan, and laundry, which instantly took me back to my college days. Not that I really went to the gym, tanned, or did that much laundry, but one of my favorite drinks back then was always GTL, gin, tonic, and lime. And I sadly did watch a hell of a lot of Jersey Shore back in my college days. Today I am returning to my old reliable pink gin of the Catherine Saga of Season 1, Bloom Jasmine and Rose Gin. To add a Lafayette French twist, one could add a shot of Saint Germain elderflower liqueur to this classic cocktail. But that shit is way too expensive and has far too little usefulness for me to go and buy. Let's get back to today's situation to Jersey, Jersey! I can't believe I just did that. So what the fuck is the Jersey Devil? As one historian of folklore notes, it's a mysterious creature with, quote, the skeleton of a half-bird, half-beast, reputed to have cloven hooves, a long tail, the face of a horse, the body of a kangaroo, and the wings of a bat. And only in fucking Jersey could something like that be found. I mean, I cannot believe what I just said, a goddamn kangaroo bat. Something like this can't possibly exist in nature, can it? 
Apparently, it can. This creature has been stalking the Pine Barrens area of South New Jersey for centuries. So tied to the state's history is this creature that it is listed as the United States' only, quote, state demon. For more than 250 years, sightings of the New Jersey Devil have been reported throughout the marshy lands of South Jersey. But some of the origin stories for the Jersey Devil are about as screwed up as its description. I mean, a fucking kangaroo in New Jersey? Also known in the area as the Leeds Devil, the Jersey Devil is literally said to have been born in the 1700s. But who could birth such a thing? Turns out, some woman named Jane. The story goes as follows. Mrs. Leeds, who had already had 12 children, found out that she was pregnant for the 13th time, Jesus. And Leeds either cried out, let it be the devil, likely believing that her 13th child must be a curse, or literally just birthed the spawn of Satan. The baby was born on a stormy night, and depending on the story you believe, was either born a devil or mystically turned into a winged kangaroo bat after cutting the umbilical cord. Unsurprisingly, some stories indicate that Leeds was in fact a witch, and that the Jersey kangaroo bat demon was the love child of Leeds and the devil himself. The Leeds family were considered to be somewhat devilish themselves in the Jersey area. Originally Pennsylvania Quakers, they began to settle in New Jersey around the early to mid-1700s, and from then on, pretty much every Everyone in the surrounding area came to resent or hate them. But if you find yourself wondering what the hell does this have to do with the Marquis de Lafayette, well, I'm getting there. If you're thinking that Lafayette bravely fended off the devil during his time as a Franco-American revolutionary, courageously defending the Continental Army from attack during one of the many brutal winters at Morristown, New Jersey, then you couldn't be more wrong. Actually, this goes back to Lafayette's visit to America in 1824, and it really has nothing to do with Lafayette himself at all. Instead, Joseph Bonaparte, who was living in exile in the United States following his abdication in 1813 and his brother's ultimate demise two years later. Like the Lafayette episode, we are going to avoid diving into the endless void of Napoleon Bonaparte and just stick to one point, his brother, Joe. But I have to be honest, Joseph Bonaparte, as much as I wish he would, probably won't be showing up as a great mind on the show down the road. So here are the basics. Born January 7th, 1768, the same year that his native Corsica was invaded by France, he lived through the same dynamic world as our Marquis. During the Revolution, Joseph served in the Directory as a member of the lower house, the Saint-Saëns, and later in the upper house of the Directory called the Council of Ancients actually using his position in government to aid his brother in overthrowing the Directory on his path to absolute power. After a brief flirtation that led to a short-lived peace with the Kingdom of Naples, Napoleon defeated and conquered the kingdom and named his brother Joseph King of Naples. There, Joe actually aimed to reform and modernize the somewhat outdated state. He worked with local councils instead of outright ruling absolutely, which he totally could have and at a glance seemed to be a rather fair and well-liked king. But in 1808, Joseph would be called upon again to rule a newly conquered, larger territory, Spain. He would be replaced as king of Naples by Napoleon's brother-in-law, Joachim Murat. Joachim Murat? Murat? Yeah. And crowned king of Spain on June 6, 1808. And I would say he did this reluctantly. Being well-liked in Naples, he did not particularly look forward to transferring to the Spanish throne where he was wildly unpopular. Despite having the support of a modest population of Spaniards, sometimes called Josefinos, they were more commonly known as, quote, Afrancados, or the Frenchified. 
who would face brutal persecution under the restoration government of Ferdinand VII. Nonetheless, as King of Spain, Joseph presided over some wild time. He abolished the evil institution of the Spanish Inquisition, witnessed and basically accidentally caused the beginnings of Latin American independence, but he was mostly preoccupied with the Peninsular War and Britain's struggle to liberate Portugal and Spain under the cunning military leadership of the Duke of Wellington. Wellington's success meant that Joseph would be forced out of Spain and vacate his throne, but not before stealing some of the Spanish crown jewels and taking some four to 12,000 courtiers with him as he went into exile in France. And when Napoleon finally fell, Joseph found himself in exile seeking refuge in the United States of America of all places. So believe it or not, the United States of America was home to its very own king for a period of time. The would-be, quote, King of New Jersey would style himself a Count, though his friends and those he encountered typically called him Mr. Bonaparte. After living in Philadelphia and New York City for a brief period of time, he was able to buy himself a massive estate in Bordertown, New Jersey, where he built a large mansion, miles of carriage paths, filled his property with the rarest trees and plants, and had an 8,000-volume library that at the time dwarfed the Library of Congress. And he paid for all of this with money he earned, in large part, by selling those Spanish crown jewels. Which, yeah, he kinda stole. But he was the king, so who really gives a shit? Well, probably Spain. His wife was not able to come with him to America, and the two were separated for nearly 25 years. But he certainly wasn't lonely. His 18-year-old mistress from Virginia would bear him two daughters, Caroline and Pauline. He would later dine with Lafayette during our Marquis' tour of the United States in the 1820s, even offering his services as a possible monarch should the need for one ever arise. And now let's return to today's true topic, a freaky-ass kangaroo bat, the Jersey Devil. So what the hell could Joseph Bonaparte possibly have to do with the Jersey Devil? It's obvious, right? He claimed to have encountered it, and this time I'm not lying. The story goes that one day Joe was hunting alone in the woods, of course he was alone, when he came across some hoof tracks similar to that of a large goat, which I don't believe tend to inhabit the woodland marshes of South Jersey. Nonetheless, he followed the tracks until they came to a seemingly abrupt halt, almost as if the goat had flown away. It was at that moment that Mr. Bonaparte recalled hearing a strange hissing sound. He, quote, whirled around and came face to face with an animal, something unlike anything he had ever encountered. He didn't describe it this way, but surprise, the beast he saw towering over him basically looked like a fucked up kangaroo bat. He even described it as having camel-like features. Apparently forgetting that he was an armed and seasoned hunter, Joseph stood frozen as the beast unfurled its wings and took to the sky. The next day, Joe rushed to tell his neighbors of the strange encounter, and I'm sure he was quite surprised when none of them seemed, in fact, surprised at all. Filling Mr. Bonaparte in on the strange happenings of Jersey, a tiresome task I am sure, the former king became enamored with the idea of hunting the beast for his mantle. Sadly, Joseph would die before ever again encountering his mysterious fucked up kangaroo bat that I never thought could be any stranger until he said it looked like a camel. Returning to Europe in the 1830s, he would live out his days mostly in Italy, finally rejoining his wife. He died in Florence on July 28, 1844, and he was buried in Paris four years before the fall of King Louis-Philippe and ten years after the death of our Marquis, Lafayette. Believe it or not, though, Joseph Bonaparte and his American children weren't the only Bonapartes to live stateside. And this is where shit got really weird for me. 
Joseph and Napoleon's younger brother Jerome lived in the States for a brief period of time, and he fell in love with a young Elizabeth Patterson of a prominent and wealthy Baltimore family on a visit he made to the United States in 1803. Shortly after meeting, the two wed on Christmas Eve 1803, and before Napoleon could recall his brother to rule as the King of Westphalia and annul his marriage, the two produced a child. Thus another, actually the first, American Bonaparte would be born in the United States, named Jerome Napoleon Bonaparte. He actually is somewhat tied to the history of the United States, and some historians have noted that his potential birthright title, Prince Napoleon, was a factor for the attempted passage of a constitutional amendment to strip those who accepted foreign noble titles of their U.S. citizenship, an amendment that has never passed. So Jerome died tripping over his dog's leash but not before he too had a son, Charles Patterson Bonaparte, who was educated at Harvard where he obtained his law degree. He would even serve in several high-ranking positions in the U.S. government. Charles Bonaparte first served as Theodore Roosevelt's Secretary of the Navy, and later as his Attorney General, which made me go, wait one fucking second. Aren't those titles listed in the line of presidential succession? Wouldn't that have made for quite an interesting 19th century version of Designated Survivor? So today, the Secretary of the Navy isn't a cabinet position and therefore isn't in the line of presidential succession. But upon some deeper digging, that would be under legal standards set in the 1940s. In 1949, the cabinet position of Secretary of the Navy was absorbed into the Department of Defense. So, could it really be possible? Prior to 1947, succession of the presidency was determined by the Presidential Succession Act of 1886 because historians suck at naming things. Going directly to the source, it states, be it enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America in Congress assembled, that in the case of removal, death, resignation, or inability of both the President and Vice President of the United States, the Secretary of State shall act as President until the disability of the President or Vice President is removed or a President shall be elected. It goes on to spell out the rest of the line of succession as Secretary of the Treasury, Secretary of War, or Attorney General, Postmaster General, and the Secretary of the Navy. Well, if you didn't catch it, Charles Bonaparte was Secretary of the Navy from 1905 to 1906 and Attorney General for Roosevelt from 1906 to 1909. So from 1905 to 1909, for nearly five years, just in case you aren't putting the pieces together, that means that a Bonaparte was at one point a possible successor to the presidency if some strange case of severe national emergency arose. Charles Bonaparte was somewhere between fifth and seventh in line of succession to the office of President of the United States of America. In this crisis scenario, he would have served as acting president for weeks. And I have to be honest, saying it out loud feels like I'm saying the impossible. And I admit that this reality was incredibly unlikely. But hell, McKinley was shot and killed in 1901. So... Moving back to the possible, let's wrap up with a quick look at some of the more recent sightings of the Jersey Devil. I'm sure many of you know or have figured it out by now that the New Jersey Devils hockey team gets its name from our fucked up kangaroo. Beyond that, it has appeared on countless TV shows including The X-Files. But when was the last time anyone claimed to have seen the beast? 
There was a wave of sightings in 1909 that caused such mass hysteria that schools and businesses had to close in the area. And in the 1960s, several accounts of horrifying, inexplicable screams were reported. It was spotted again in 1972 by a woman driving down the highway, and there were several sightings in the 1980s. One of the most recent sightings was actually in October of 2015. The sad reality is that the Jersey Devil has found himself on Jersey's most wanted posters on more than one occasion over several centuries, despite the fact that on more than one occasion, it turned out to be just a bunch of jackasses stealing a kangaroo from the nearby zoo and putting fake wings on it. Well, let's move to today's drink. It's a fucking gin and tonic. I can never understand why someone doesn't like gin. If it tastes like pine needles, then stop being a cheap ass and buy better gin. Bloom Gin is absolutely fantastic. In the top three, I have tried. But since it isn't as good as Hendrix, I can only give it five points for taste. The sad reality is that the price is just as bad or high as Hendrix, around the $30 to $35 mark, depending on if you catch a sale. And Bloom seems to go on sale far less often. So I am awarding Bloom Gin five points for being worth the price, but a little expensive. Expensive. Returnability is tricky, mainly because it's pink, which means I can make a lot of fun drinks with it. I don't mind paying for good gin, and this is certainly good gin. I would probably sooner return to Hendrix over this for the same price, so again, I will be fair and give it a solid 4 points for being good enough to return, but not as good as Hendrix. But it is pink, and I do like that. Bloom Gin and my GTL leaves the show with 14 out of 18 points and 5 crowns. Well, that's it. I don't know if I believe in the Leeds or Jersey Devil, but going into this episode, it seemed more likely a possibility than a Bonaparte ever becoming president of the United States, so I don't know what to believe anymore. But be sure to check out the DGMH Facebook group, where we get into all sorts of fun discussions, and you can get a round of DGMH daily. Who doesn't want that? I hope you'll follow the show on Instagram and Twitter, and now TikTok, and consider leaving the show a great, hopefully, five-star review wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to head over to my Patreon page to get access to even more DGMH content. Now let's raise a glass to myths. From President Bonaparte's to Jersey Devils, to the tans on the Jersey Shore, myths are fun, but can we trust them? People have tried to write off all the fuckery surrounding the Jersey Devil with silly theories like it's a crane, or it's just a boogeyman-like legend to scare the children of New Jersey into behaving. It didn't fucking work. Some have speculated that the story was possibly born out of local hatred for the Leeds family itself. But who could hate someone so much that they claimed a woman gave birth to a kangaroo? What does that even accomplish? Hell, maybe the Jersey Devil is actually Polly D or Snooky. Either way, the Pine Barrens area seems to be one of the more haunted and mystical places in New Jersey, which is home to its fair share of ghouls of ghost and goal. Mm, I can't say that word which is home to its fair share of mysterious creatures and is even said to be haunted by the ghost of Captain Kidd. So I guess it's up to you to decide whether this fucked up kangaroo bat is a myth or something more majestic, more mysterious. Whatever you decide, cheers. Cheers.